2: morning it is Don't At Me. I am Dan Dockage. I'm wearing purple because I am in support of Northwestern and Northwestern's football players wearing t-shirts honoring their beloved coach because you know what? They just should. Serious business. You see it right there. Clear shot of Cats Against the World shirt. The same Northwestern coaches were wearing some Northwestern coaches. And players were wearing at practice, Pat Fitzgerald, old jersey, number 51. Hey, look, I get it there was hazing. I get it, bad, not good, horrible, didn't allow it in my own program. But I also get it that a lot of kids, and I mean a lot of kids, and a lot of players in that university as a whole was helped by Pat Fitzgerald. The whole world exploded. It's tone deaf, according to the great man, that was the diversity hire as an athletic director at Northwestern. Why do I say that? Because everybody looked past his incredibly womenized comments in a book. But, hey, he's still the AD because, well, you know why he's still the AD, but he's all mad. The AD at Northwestern, it's tone deaf. We can't do this. Yeah, why not? You know, we're so soft. couple guys complain, and good for them. They should complain. Hey, I'm not mad at you for complaining. You should, if you, had, if you had hazing, then you've got to fire the people involved in hazing. You do, it's that simple. I ain't mad about it. I ain't mad about it at all. Good, get mad. But it's an act of civil disobedience. It's a, pri- a silent protest. Hey, it's not burning down cities and calling it a silent protest. You know, the woke media will go nuts. ESPN will go crazy. Oh, my God. Uh, It's absolutely insane. You can't do this because we're all supposed to fall in line. When somebody complains, we got to fall in line. We got to stand with whoever is complaining. And look, they have the right, and they are right to complain. And there is absolutely no reason no reason whatsoever for hazing in your program. Fire them, punish them. The AD, I'm extremely disappointed that a few members of our football program decided to wear Cats Against the World t-shirts. Neither I nor the university were aware that they owned or would wear these shirts today. Shirts are inappropriate, offensive, tone deaf. Oh, shut up. Oh, shut up. Nobody's saying, they're saying, let me be clear, hazing has no place at Northwestern committed to do whatever necessary to address hazing-related issues, including thoroughly investigating any issues or allegations of hazing or any inappropriate conduct. Yeah, good. Do it. Do it. But some coaches and staff members remain loyal to a man, and maybe, just maybe, there's more to the story. Maybe, just maybe, there is. You never know. I don't know. But maybe there is, and maybe some of these staff members that were there know. Maybe Adam Rittenberg and others at ESPN don't know. I don't know. But I ain't mad at it. I ain't mad at it at all. Who cares? Yeah, you know what? When I was the interim head coach at Indiana, and this struck me deeply, Calvin Sampson got fired because he's a cheat. I mean, what do you want to do? He's probably still doing his thing. I don't know. But he was a cheat and a liar and a golf cheat. And didn't pay his debts when he lost in golf. He's all those things. Horrible dude. So I became the head coach. Players are mad, blah, 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 blah. And they wrote KS on their shoes. And the AD's like, "Dan, what are you going to do about it? I go, I'm not doing nothing. They love Coach Sampson. And then after a little bit, I told them, hey, uh, that's enough. And they're like, yeah, you're right. Players are like, yeah, you're right. So what? People are loyal. Big deal. You'll get over it. I get that the AD, who should be fired, by the way, absolutely, he hired a baseball coach that he had to fire. Now, apparently, he knew about this, didn't do anything about it. That AD should have been fired a long time ago, but that AD is posturing, and there is no room in my world for posturing. So if you don't like what Northwestern wore, good. That's fine. That's no problem. Not everybody should like everything. There are some, I'm assuming, that don't mind hazing. I saw it in my mentions. I hate hazing. I think hazing is juvenile. I think hazing is childish. I did not want to be haze, nor did I want anybody around me being hazed. and thank God I wasn't. But I got to tell you, I have no problem with these guys showing a little loyalty to a man that they love. I get it. The ADs got to go out and say whatever ADs have to say, but where were you when the hazing was going on, Mr. AD? Where were you? You knew about it. If it was that going on the AD had heard about it, if it was that deep that they're saying the AD knew about it, I guarantee you, or the associate AD knew about it. They have an associate AD there named Jenna Blaze who was the worst person that I ever worked for in college athletics. She was horrible, awful. But she's a woman, so she kept moving up. And she's now an assistant AD at Northwestern. I don't know what her job is, but if she's reflective of the athletic directors at Northwestern, then they have a pack of idiots because Jenna Blaze was the worst. Uh, Ron Rivera tried to walk back his comments on Eric Bienemy. We touched on this just a little bit. Remember Rivera said Bienemy is to me and the players are coming to me. He aired Dirty Laundry in public. Why? Well, because Ron Rivera is trying to be as woke as humanly possible. Ron Rivera is trying to get on the right side of the media by acquiescing to far-left media thoughts, but this one blew up on him. Even the Stooges on the left side of the media in sports couldn't condone that Rivera, a veteran coach, threw his offensive coordinator that he hired from the Kansas City Chiefs under the bus. And to make matters worse, he threw an African-American offensive coordinator under the bus, which means every little scrawny white guy like Greg Doyle ain't going to defend it. Let's hear from Rivera yesterday walking back his idiotic comments. I'm going to open up with this pretty much. You know, I realize my comments yesterday took on a different life than I intended yesterday. And that's on me for not being as clear as I needed to be. I'll own that. At the end of the day, we know that we're trying to build here, and we're all aligned. As I've said many times since I've hired Eric, I love the overall message that he gave to the team. His first day, and that was basically, we got to learn to be comfortable when we're uncomfortable. And I think what's happened is for those guys on that side of the ball, things are uncomfortable. There's been a lot of change. And the entire way of doing things has changed on the offensive side. Change is hard, and I've always encouraged our players to have great dialogue and build relationships with our staff. You know you know he's full of cramp, he had to read it. Like, it's right there uh, is a paper behind the hat, under his arm. He had to read this. That's how dumb football coaches are. That's how dumb this guy is. That's how full of crap this guy is. Let's be clear here. When you are sincere, you don't have to read nothing. You don't have to read a damn thing. You show up, hey, look, I said this, it was wrong. But he knows that he's trying so hard to get on the right side of the media and it failed. It failed miserably. As I said, even the left crazy ass reporters couldn't get down with him criticizing Eric Enemy. They couldn't get with it. They wouldn't get with it. They didn't get with it. And now you can see the little piece of paper there by his left elbow. This clown has to read a statement as opposed to speak from the heart. Tells you he's full of crap. Ron Rivera when he punished Jack Del Real because Jack Del Real didn't follow a woke, a absolute woke doctrine, showed himself to be a fraud. But this is even worse. You're sitting there and you're reading it. You're used to speaking. It's not like some eighth grader doing his first speech in public speaking class. This is an NFL football coach, a long time one, that is so used to getting up in front of the media and speaking. But because he knows he's full of crap. He has to read it. Ron Rivera, you, sir, are full of crap. Hey, we have a two-tier justice system. I don't think anybody would deny that, would you? I mean, seriously, is there anybody out there that does not believe that we have a two-tier justice system? I think we all know that we did. You know, James Comer yesterday released all of this evidence of money taken by the Biden family from a variety of countries, including, oh, a shocker, Ukraine. So he releases it, and none of the mainstream media even bothers with it. Didn't the mainstream media tell us silence is complicit back in the day? You know, if you didn't speak out like Chris Ballard crying about white people, then you were complicit. Well, isn't the silence of, well, I don't know, Democratic politicians and a Democratic mainstream media complicit? Of course it is. We have a two-tier justice system. And Madonna, going back a few years, when Donald Trump was in the White House, shows it perfectly. day or so ago, there was a man named Craig Robertson. Craig Robertson, Provo, Utah. Craig Robertson had apparently made death threats against President Biden. So the FBI goes out, remote area, basically to serve an arrest warrant on Mr. Robertson. Okay. Well, guess what? Shootout, Robertson dead. FBI kills him. Let's flash backwards to show you what a two-tier justice system looks like. We've got a man dead for allegedly, allegedly now, threatening the White House, threatening Joe Biden. Here's Madonna few years ago when donald trump was in the white house let's hear from crazy
3: yes i am outraged yes i have thought an awful lot about
0: blowing up the white house
2: nothing nothing not a damn thing was done. Not a damn thing was said. Not one of our mainstream left media criticized Madonna. None. Why? Complicit. Why do we have a two-tier justice system? Why do we allow a two-tier justice system? We have it. It's clear. All you got to do is look at what happened to Mr. Robertson. and I'm sure he was a crazy man. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, look, do you believe a report coming out of the FBI? Mr. Robertson is dead. He certainly is not going to have anything to say. He's dead. So who are we going to have to hear what happened actually in Provo, Utah? Oh, the FBI. Not exactly the most reliable outfit these days. Not exactly the most trustworthy. But hey, why is it okay for anybody, anybody, even a crazy ass singer with a fifth grade education, Why is it okay for her to stand there and say she's going to blow up the White House when a Republican president is in the White House? Actually, why is it okay for her to say she's going to blow up the White House no matter who's in the White House? If nobody's in the White House, if we don't even have a president, it isn't okay for me to get on a microphone in my neighborhood and say I'm going to blow up my own house. That's not okay. But yet we allow this. And we allow, you want to know why the American people are mad? That's why the American people are mad. I'm in a kind of a funny to me tete to tete, it's kind of one sided because there's no response with my guy Greg Doyle. Greg Doyle criticized Republicans, conservatives, because they are mean. They are cruel, it, his words, when it comes to talking about Megan Rapino and the soccer team. It's the cruel side, he said. Really, I didn't see any Republicans talking about blowing up the White House. Indianapolis had to board up, board up when Donald Trump won election night. Why? Well, I didn't see any Republicans getting ready to storm the streets of Indianapolis when, oh, I don't know, Bill Clinton won. Oh, I don't know, Obama won. The cruel, angry side is the side of the left. If you're mad because some patriots don't like Reg, uh, Reg, Megan Rapino, fine, compare that with the other side. Well, lootings, bombings, burning down cities. That's the left. That seems more mean and cruel than saying, hey, I'm glad a soccer team lost, but this is the world that we live in. Go burn a city down, you freaking traitors on the left. You guys are awful. Why do we allow this? I don't know. I got a feeling something bad's going to happen in this country because we're getting tired of seeing the things that we're seeing. We don't trust the DOJ. We don't trust the FBI. We don't trust the IRS. We don't trust the White House, and we shouldn't. Shady McCoy. Shady McCoy has been a pain in the backside his entire career. When you hear about Shady McCoy, you always hear, yeah, pretty good runner, but nuts. So Shady McCoy, well... He admits that Eric Bienemy, his relationship with players was alarming. Alarming. Let's hear from Shady McCoy. I've I've said something about this in the past, and everybody killed me for it.
0: Oh, why wow, is, you know, is he mad
2: about this, mad about
0: that? No, I, I think Eric Bienemy, I think he'll be a good head coach because he's big on the discipline, you know, making making everybody accountable. But I never seen him as a coordinator. He, he never really caught plays. He installs, never installed no plays, anything like that. But the thing that alarmed me the most was their their relationships with the players. And the one thing why Andy Reid is such a great coach, obviously the X's and O's part of it. Right. But he can relate to players. He can understand them. He can mm-hmm. adjust from when I had him at twenty years old to having him in twenty nineteen. He, he he changed. And you gotta change with the times. And I think what with the enemy, he's still stuck in that old back in the days where the coaches is just cussing the players out and That's not how it's played nowadays. Like, like
2: even with Coach Rivera talking about it, he said that's a different approach. Well, what are you going to do? Eh, what are you going to do? I mean, be nice to players. Nice job. You fumbled three times, but that's a nice job. We're very happy for you. We think you did well. Here. Here's a ticket. Go get yourself a nice hot dog. Oh, screw all of you. You know what? There should be a moratorium. NFL players don't speak. Former NFL players are never allowed to speak. You're just not allowed to. I'm sorry, you're not allowed to. You know, I mean, there's no reason that anybody has to hear Shady McCoy speak. He's probably right, but I don't care. I get tired of him. You know, you catch the player, you tell, you know, our feelings are hurt. No, shut up. Uh, Henry Ruggs, three to 10 years in jail. Remember Henry Ruggs. He was a first round pick decided for whatever the reason to get drunk and go 156 miles an hour through Las Vegas. Uh, he wrecks his car, kills a girl, a Serbian woman, by the way, who has done many, many great things for her family. If you want to read all about her and he gets three to 10 years, he's got to serve a maximum three to 10 years. Look, I I don't know the circumstances. I know this, uh, three years. I, I, here's the deal. Let me back up a second. I never want to be in charge of how many times or where people go to jail for how long. I don't, I actually threw. I did. I got jury duty a year ago and I threw it. Yeah, I totally threw it. I fixed jury duty. I'm like, yeah, I, I can't convict anybody. Yeah, I don't. And I, you know, the, the lawyers were kind of laughing at it and kind of thinking I was an idiot. And that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted everybody to think I'm an idiot because I looked over at this kid over here who was being charged with murder. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have the stomach to put him in jail for life. I just don't. You do. Doesn't make me good or bad. Just makes me who I am. I'm like, man, my first thought was, I bet you don't have a dad. That's my first thought about uh, some kid of jury duty. So I'm the wrong guy to say whether the sentence is light or fair. I know that Henry Ruggs had a lot of people Write him letters. The old coach from high school did. Uh, old Mike Loxley did. If Mike Loxley, the coach at Maryland, writes you a letter of recommendation, go the other way because that dude's a stone idiot. But anyway, Ruggs gets three to 10 years. I feel sorry for his family. I feel sorry for the young lady. Uh, They're her family. I mean, it's just a horrible situation. But these idiots, whether it's the University of Georgia or NFL people, getting cars and deciding they're so entitled, they can go down city streets at 150 miles an hour is just wrong. And I will tell you this. It's wrong then. It's wrong now. And more people are going to get hurt because don't tell me people are going to see what happened with Henry Ruggs and change their behavior. Maybe for five minutes. It just doesn't happen that way. I wish it did. But it doesn't. I wish it did. I wish people saw, hey man, Henry Ruggs did this. Remember, Henry Ruggs did this before Georgia and the idiots that play football at Georgia won a national championship. What have they done since then? All they've done since then is, oh, I don't know, uh get in their car and go a million miles an hour and a couple people are dead. Hey, Rachel Nichols is going to join Undisputed. Do you like Rachel Nichols? Rachel Nichols got absolutely screwed. Maria Taylor played hardball with Rachel Nichols. Remember Rachel Nichols? There was a leaked audio, right? Ironically enough, when Maria Taylor was going through contract negotiations to do what? Replace Rachel Nichols. And I really like them both. I like Maria Taylor a lot. I worked with her. Uh, in the ACC tournament, but she had really changed. One year I worked with her, she was awesome. The next year I worked with her, she became a star, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. As much as a star as you could be saying on the sidelines, hey, coach, what'd you think? You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, so Rachel Nichols uh, joins Undisputed. So you're going to have Lil Wayne on there. You're going to have Richard Seymour on there. And you're going to have uh, Skip Bayless on there and you're going to have Rachel Nichols on there. So good. So the show has everything covered, right? You got the white dude. You got the woman. You got African-Americans. Throw an Asian in there, and you're in business, total business. I don't know. What are you going to do? The show will be carried, as always, by Skip Bayless. People love to react to Skip Bayless. People love to get mad at Skip Bayless. So it really doesn't matter whether you have Rachel Nichols or Raquel Welch. It really doesn't matter if you have Richard Sherman or you have Richard Nixon. It really doesn't matter if you have Lil Wayne or Lil Weezy or Lil whatever. It don't matter. I mean, look, Skip Bayless is going to cover the show, and the show will be fine. It will. Lil Wayne, Lil Weezy. I like Lil Wayne. Richard Sherman's horrible on Amazon, but maybe he'll be good on this. Maybe. I don't know. But that halftime show on Amazon is the worst thing going. That guy Whitmore, who's a great dude, by the way. uh No, 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 no. Hey, Chip Kelly, shocker here, UCLA coach. I am surprised by this. He wants to do away with conferences in college football. Serious business. He wants to go the Notre Dame route. Notre Dame's an independent in football, but they're in a conference for everything else. I agree with him here. Why aren't we all independent for football? Take the 64 teams in power five and make that one decision. Take the 64 teams in group of five, make that another division, division. I'm sorry. We play for a championship. They play for a championship and no one else gets affected. Our sport is different from everyone else. We only play once a week. Travel's not a big deal for football, but it's a big deal for other sports. He's not wrong here. He's And this is where we're headed. We're headed to a Big Ten division and an SEC division. I don't know if it'll be called that, but that's what we're headed to. I've said this for years. This is what my people tell me. And I got people, by the way. I got people. But this is what I'm being told. This is eventually going to happen. And he's right. Look. You as a softball player, I've watched softball players in airports. I have. And it's miserable. I mean, honest to God, I go to Vegas in the spring with my brother and my nephew and my son, hopefully, and a bunch of dudes, and we play golf. True story, I'm in bed by 9. It's true. I'll wake up at 5 in the morning. I'll play golf. I'll I'll do whatever you want to do all day. But I am in bed by 9. Anyway, I digress. Last two years, I've been in airports. I've flown home. Usually, you know, like a 6, 7 o'clock flight, whatever it is, local time, which is about, you know, if it's 6, it's 9 in Indy. Invariably, wherever I've been, usually Atlanta. It's usually to Atlanta and then home. Guess what? The Indiana team, A team, has been on there, whether it's softball. I think rowing was on there this year, water polo maybe. I don't know. And these young ladies are studying And I'm saying to myself, damn, so now what? You got to go out the West Coast and you got to go play USC, UCLA. Eventually, you'll play Oregon and Washington. Misery. Now, the difference is, and people need to understand this, you can take online classes. And a lot of athletes are taking online classes. But let me ask you this. One of the great things of college and high school is going to class. You don't know it at the time. You don't want to at the time. I missed a ton of classes. But one of the great things is walking on campus. Students everywhere, you run into a pretty girl, you run into a dude you know, you see somebody maybe from high school if you go to a school like Indiana that you didn't know was there. You see somebody, you meet new people, you go to the union, it's great. It's a blast. It's what you should do. Seriously. He's not wrong here. He's not. This travel thing sucks. And football can survive. Nah, he's right. He's absolutely right. Hey, I watched the Johnny Manziel documentary. It was riveting. I am not going to lie. I sat there like this. And I don't know why. I really don't. Because it wasn't that great. I mean, let's be honest. I've told you the story about meeting Johnny Manziel. It was at Butler National playing golf, Teddy Greenstein and I, my brother and a rich guy. The rich guy got us on. We're in the locker room. I think I've told you this. The world's fastest white boy ever at Notre Dame was some guy. He was ripped. He's like 45, ripped. Barry Alvarez, I asked him. Barry Alvarez, the former AD and football coach at Wisconsin was a former coach at Notre Dame defensive coordinator. So I asked Coach Alvarez, "Hey, was this guy the fastest white boy ever?" He said, "Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah." So anyway, the fastest white boy ever is at his locker and about four lockers down, Johnny Manziel. Greenstein goes, hey, man, you Johnny Manziel? And the world's fastest white boy who played with Manziel goes, yeah, that's Johnny. Johnny's like, yeah, you know. And he tells the story of throwing his clubs into the water, except I think his three wood, his putter, and maybe a wedge. i like the 16th or 18th, not the 18th, 17th hole. I don't even know which one. And I think I told you this before, I I didn't know whether I liked Johnny Manziel. He was loud, he was stupid, he was a football guy, but I kind of dug him. He was really important. Oh, he was important. He had wristband, he had to be somewhere. So I'm watching this yesterday with that in the back of my mind, and all I could think of was, I don't know whether I like Johnny Manziel, or I don't know whether I don't like Johnny Manziel. I don't, and that's from an encounter. But I will say this. The show is riveting. Johnny Manziel, after watching this show, is a spoiled brat. Johnny Manziel, after watching this show, is the absolute poster child for letting things go to your head. You know, I coached a kid named Damon Bailey. Damon Bailey was in the number one sports book in the history of sports. John Feinstein's uh, season on the brink. Bailey was an eighth grader. From eighth grade on, eighth grade, till now probably, I don't know. Nah, not now. But anyway, from eighth grade till he was a senior in high school, mob scene, everywhere Damon Bailey went. Damon Bailey never had these problems. Damon Bailey never lost his mind. Damon Bailey handled it all well. His mom and dad were humble people from just outside of Bedford, Indiana. So I've seen this. I've seen hysteria around a player. Steve Alford, the Sean Cassidy of basketball. We won a national championship. Steve Alford can't go anywhere. But i seen guys handle it. Why couldn't Johnny Manziel? Well, he was only 19. I get it. These guys were 19. I don't know. I think Johnny Manziel should have handled all of this better. I said yesterday, bragging about watching no tape, no bueno. No bueno. But you could see that's who he was. And there's a part of me that admired it for this reason. If you're going to be party guy, then you'd be really good. If you're going to be the guy that lives his life, Be really good. The one thing that I would caution any of you athletes is don't take so many pictures of yourself. Like every time Johnny Manziel had a drink, somebody, including him, took pictures of himself. Don't do that. I mean, I don't know. What does the picture do? Enhance your reputation? But Johnny Manziel hit the world right at the time social media was hitting the world. Johnny Manziel hit the world a little bit before Me Too and a little bit before all the incredible sensitivities hit. So he got through without that, but the bottom line was Johnny Manziel is a riveting character. Johnny Manziel couldn't handle success, and handling success is a bitch. Handling success is really, really, really tough. Couldn't handle it. Lost his mind. And then, well, when the players got better, which was really rare because when you play in the SEC, players are pretty good. He had no chance because he didn't want to be there. Now, he does what most do. He throws that entire "I was going to commit suicide" thing in. If true, incredibly sad. If true, and the gun clicked and didn't go off, unbelievable story. I'm not sure I buy it. I'm not sure I don't. I hope it's not true. I hope he never got to that point. I hope nobody ever gets to that point. I understand it. Look, I'm on what I call crazy meds. That may be an offensive term to you, but it's the meds that I. It's the. It's the name that I use for Lexapro which is an antidepressant that I'm on, that my doctor put me on when I got divorced. All it does is make me hungry. But the Johnny Manziel documentary is an absolute must-watch. And then you make your own decisions, but I felt like Johnny Manziel was a brat. That's the best word to pick. He became a brat. His whole life was a facade, except on the football field, and they talk about his whole life being a facade. But the bottom line, Johnny Manziel, simply a brat. That's it. Danny Z is going to join us. I got some stuff here. Oh, yeah. I got I got some stuff. Do you know who Colby Cunningham, uh, Covington is? Man, one of the world's great fighters. He's joining us at 1030. I can't wait to talk to Danny Z. Let's go. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Uh, You know him, you love him. He is Danny Z of OutKick. All right, let's get right into it. You worked at ESPN. I worked at ESPN. Penn, the gambling company, and ESPN are now going to work together. Penn, who had owned Barstool, got rid of Barstool because the regulators are like, yeah, Dave Portnoy is, is a problem for you guys. Here's my question. Everybody assumes that everything ESPN touches goes well. I said, you know, those ESPN zones ultimately failed. Is this a slam dunk? Is this because of ESPN and its brand in sports pairing with a gambling company? Is this a slam dunk success?
3: I think they also tried ESPN 3D and maybe an ESPN phone. I mean, we always forget about the failures. They did. Yeah, right? It's weird because uh, I heard you talking to Adam Carolla the other day, and you guys were talking about how you'd only remember the losses from your career. But yet, for some reason, we only remember ESPN's wins. No one remembers ESPN 3D or ESPN the phone. Um, I I have a few thoughts on this. Um, I think ESPN's late here. I mean, I know it's stating the obvious, but going in on a sports betting app feels about seven years too late. Uh, The market's already pretty dominated right now by FanDuel and DraftKings. Um, Obviously, ESPN has a reach that neither of those companies really has, but I'm not sure that people are clamoring for another sports betting app, and I don't know necessarily what ESPN brings to the table other than name recognition that isn't already out there. And for those that think that ESPN has this top-of-the-line technology, try to use their fantasy app on week one of the uh, NFL season. It never works. So the idea that they're going to come up with this incredible app that just works all the time and is better than what's out there, I'm not sure I buy that part of it either. Was that a good deal for Barstool to get it back? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if if he didn't have to pay anything for it. I mean – I think there's some legalese well, well, in
2: there. Well, here's what they do have to do: they got to get fifty percent if they ever liquidate back, and they can't have any sports book advertisers, which is big money for them.
3: I totally agree, and I brought this up on a on a on an outkick group chat because. That was one of their biggest revenue streams was was sports books. Right. I mean, sports books have tons of money to give, and they they've been spending it. And especially now with ESPN entering the fray, you got to think DraftKings and FanDuel are going to step up their advertising um, to make sure that they don't allow ESPN to get a big chunk of that market share. Yeah, I mean, but again, he up front it doesn't cost anything, and I think PR wise, Dave did a. They did it smart, like, oh, you know, it's back to being Barstool and the pirate ship and all that. Um, But at the end of the, you know, I'm never going to sell like, well, yeah, it's pretty easy to say right now. But, you know, what's the landscape going to look like in five years, 10 years? There might come a time, might be a divorce, might be bankruptcy. Who knows? Like stuff happens, things come up and you might want to sell that company and you got to give away half of it. Um, But, you know, in the short term, sure, looks great on paper.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I mean, they got their company back. They took a swing. Good. And they made a lot of money in the deal initially, right? I mean, Portnoy got really rich, so they made a ton of money. That's kind of the idea of having a business, at least in my world. Yeah, I mean, what what
3: is the value of a company if you still have to owe fifty percent of it when you sell? I mean, so it, it kind of it's going to make the evaluation tough on it. And the other thing is too, if you cut off their biggest revenue stream, you know, Dave can't just continue to sink his own money into this company in in perpetuity. Like the, their talent still need to be paid. Now, presumably, he's on the hook for all of that. Um, every all the expenses are now he's on the hook for. So. You know, I don't doubt that they'll find a way to make money, but I don't think they're going to be generating the same amount of revenue and profit that they were. I mean, but, again, that's just a sort of a outsider looking in.
2: The NFL starts, all right, and one of the things that I'm curious about, because I've always thought this. I've always thought – actually, I, it, Brad Stevens and I had a hell of a conversation about this, and maybe I've told you this before – You know, he makes the analogy, everybody in the building has to be moving in the same direction. And it feels like to me, every year, the same teams have an issue. Washington, D.C., the commanders, an issue every year. Now, I don't know if this enemy thing is a big issue. I don't know. But I do know that Ron Rivera had to read off a script yesterday to apologize for airing the dirty laundry of his coach. I swear to you, I don't really see many issues with the Kansas City Chiefs. I didn't see many issues going back when the Patriots were rolling. I don't see many issues with the San Francisco 49ers, maybe a contract with Debo, but it's fascinating how the same crap teams always have issues.
3: Yeah, there's a few really interesting tentacles to this story number one i do think ron rivera was wrong to come out and say that players are concerned with his offensive coordinator uh again you're you're a coach i'm not i didn't play at a professional level can't do it but you don't do it you keep uh, that stuff's got to stay in the house and i actually think rivera because he's not white caught a huge break here because if he were a white coach that threw b enemy under the bus there would be like, a oh, look, there's another white coach out to get Eric bien trying to hold him back, trying to keep him from jobs. You notice that the media wasn't as outraged at Ron Rivera as they would have been if it had been any white head coach. So I found that part really interesting. But the idea that there's problems following Eric Biennemi is not surprising to us. We've talked about this on your show before, that clearly something's going on. There's a reason this guy hasn't gotten a head, co- head coaching job, and it's not because he's a black guy. We-, we know that. The NFL, they want to win. If they thought they could bring Eric Biennemi in and he'd be the face of their franchise and he would win football games, he'd be a head coach. But the fact that things, just little things, keep following him around, indicate that there's a problem there. So this seems like just the worst marriage possible. Like Ron Rivera, who's kind of a disaster at this point in his career. Eric Biennemi, who seems like a mess, taking over a franchise that's in the middle of switching ownership, possibly changing its team name for the 17th time in the last four years. I mean, poor Sam Howell. Like, I actually feel bad for the kid because I I think we don't give (laughs) this enough of – Uh, credit like we always want to credit the player or denigrate the player when things don't go well and getting drafted or getting put in the right situation matters so much and we don't we always put it on the individual which i I don't hate but at the end of the day it matters where you go it matters the system you're in it matters the coaching you get uh sam Howell is in a terrible position right now where i find it impossible that he's going to succeed
2: That's what I'm saying. You know, to your point about the white coach, I mean to tell you that could not be more accurate. If Ron Rivera was, I don't know, name a coach. uh, Maybe Sean Payton is protected by the media. But name a white coach. He would have been crushed. Brandon Staley. It would have immediately. (laughs) uh, Eberfluss in Chicago, a guy that doesn't have quite enough success, they would have been crushed like it's their job they would have been crushed. Yeah, and it would have been like, you don't understand
3: because you're white. Like, he has to be tougher on players because he's had to work hard his whole life and you haven't because you're white and white privilege. Like, man, we'd still – that would be the entire story. Actually, the fact that Rivera apologized seemed to have more to do with the fact that just because of the ownership, I think, was kind of like, yo, keep that – we got to keep that in-house. Like, that wasn't because the media attacked him for being a racist.
2: I think Rivera misread the room. I think Rivera thought that he would criticize thus being on the side of players and the media wouldn't or player wouldn't come at him because well look, I'm on the side of players. He totally misread the room because bottom line is if you're going to be a reporter or a media person covering football, first thing you got to do is cover how football is done and football is not done by the head coach spilling dirty laundry to the media. It's just not done no matter what coach that is.
3: Yeah, the only downside to this whole thing is, you know, you take a look at this example, you take a look at Sean Payton crushing Nathaniel Hackett. We're just encouraging these guys to not say anything, which is kind of sad because right. a, a great part of sports is that these guys say what they think, what they're feeling, and we're pretty much telling them, like, nah, don't do that. Just stick to your coach speak. Uh, you know, we're just looking ahead to, to Sunday, you know, one week at a time. Like we're just going to get more and more of this. We encourage people to speak their mind. And then when we do, we crush them. So it's like, well, what do we want? Do We want them to speak their minds. Like I, I submit that we don't,
2: I submit we absolutely don't, or we do. If it follows the narrative that we want, I'll give you a narrative. Daniel Jones says he's great. The media picks on everyone. Here it is. Daniel Jones struggling. He was 5 for 12. I loved your response when I saw it on Twitter the other day. Uh, this is your yearly reminder that none I'll put none of this matters. Literally none of it matters. Every year we go through this none because of it. we're just we're
3: so starved for football content that we have to Look, I'm guilty of it too. My job is to write about a lot of this stuff. I post articles all the time where it's like you know, Dax interceptions in practice, because we need stuff to talk about. But at the end of the day, especially, and, and I this is my favorite. My favorite is when it's, uh, you know, rookie wide receiver burns veteran cornerback. It's like veteran cornerback <laughs> right. makes $100 million to show up on Sundays. Like, rookie's there trying to make his way, prove his point. The veteran's like, yo, man, call me when week one starts. I've been through camp. This is my sixth camp. I'm done with camp. I don't care about camp. Um, that always makes me laugh. The other thing is, too, when we when we do this with veterans, like Daniel Jones has been in the league for four years. We know what he is. We know what he isn't. What he does in practice in August, like it has no bearing on anything that's going to happen this season. Dak, same thing. Like all these, these quarterbacks, like, yeah, I might look and see how rookies are doing, how they're adapting to their first training camp, because that might tell you a little bit of something. But anyone who's in their fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth training camp, zero. I mean, look at last, last year is a great example. Uh, Josh Jacobs, I remember, and I actually fell victim to this. I fell into the trap. Oh, Josh Jacobs is starting preseason games because the Raiders, they don't, they don't think he can play. He might not even make the team. He's fighting for his spot. He led the NFL in Russia. Jamar Chase can't he can't see the football. He can't catch. He won Rookie of the Year. It doesn't matter. None of it matters.
2: Last year. Alec Pierce, they showed it a thousand times here in Indy. Alec Pierce gets behind former NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Stephon Gilmore, for a touchdown. We got the. Uh, uh, Lewis Riddick says, that's the offensive rookie of the year right there, Alec Pierce. Hey, Stephon Gilmore didn't give a rat's ass about being in camp. Are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs>
3: No, especially not in those drills where it's literally just, like, receiver, cornerback. The the quarterback's not facing any pressure. He just sits back. Like, you can't even really defend that. Like, really. I was watching. I saw a video of a, an Amari Cooper route the other day where it was like, look, Amari Cooper, elite route runner. I was like, he had all day to run that route. There was no defense. Like, the defensive back had no shot. Literally zero chance to defend him. He ran, like, four different fakes. He, he faked the slant and he faked the go. He faked the corner. It's like, okay, but you can't do that in a game. And the cornerback knows it.
2: Come on, man. Do you, let me go to Daniel Jones. Daniel go- Jones got a ton of money, right? I mean, he got a ton of money. So uh, Saquon Barkley got a minuscule for NFL players amount of money. I will say this, and I'm curious your thoughts. Running backs are different for different teams. Like Jonathan Taylor may be the only real weapon Indy has. Saquon Barkley may be the only really – do you think that – do you think what was done to Saquon Barkley relative to Daniel Jones was fair? That's a loaded question.
3: Um, I mean, look, the market dictates what you're worth at the end of the day, and right now running backs, they just aren't worth anything. And – you know, you could look at it and go like it's the owners colluding to some extent. But, I mean, are they? Dalvin Cook remains unsigned. Ezekiel Elliott, unsigned. Kareem Hunt got an offer from the Colts, wasn't very much, said no. I mean, it's not like – I mean, these guys – again, back to what we we just said. If, if, if owners, if GMs, if coaches thought these guys were the key to them winning football games – they would have them on their team. Dalvin Cook would not be unsigned if some team thought that guy is the missing piece. They would offer him eight to ten million dollars or whatever he wants, $12 million, which again, still kind of a drop in the bucket when you look at what some other guys are making. I, I mean, it's just a reality of of the position that, you know, they fall off at an early age. They just don't want to commit to them long term, which which makes a lot of sense. The question is, you know, are running backs going to evolve? to the point where they make themselves uh, indispensable. And they have to do more than just run the ball. I mean, today's NFL, a running play is just worth a lot less. The analytics have come in and said, look, running plays, they don't do much for us. Like, we need to pass the ball. That's how you score. That's how you keep possession. That's where the big plays come from. So running backs need to pass protect really well. They need to be they need to catch the ball out of the backfield, and they need to avoid taking hits. And that's the hardest thing for a running back to do because running backs are almost guaranteed to get hit on every single play. And it's really the only position where if you touch the ball, you're kind of
2: guaranteed to get hit. Did you uh, you happen to see the Manziel documentary yet? I have not. I've seen some of the clips, though, and I,
3: I heard you talking about it, and I, I do find it fascinating. I actually – Going back to Barstool, it reminded me they they actually posted a really funny, smart article that Manziel was the Browns' second pick in that first round. They had a way bigger bust taken way earlier than everyone has forgotten about, which I right. thought was really funny.
2: Right, right. Justin Gilbert, no, yeah. I believe. How about how about the list of guys? Manti Te'o, some guy named Colin Klein, and Johnny Manziel. I, you know for the Heisman those were the three finalists I'm like oh yeah I forgot about Teo. I don't I think the guy was from Kansas State or something the finalist yeah, I don't know yeah, like, it was very odd very Just odd bad, to me that thing the bad year <laughs> it happens <laughs> Keep doing your thing Danny thanks for coming on brother Same to you Love that man That man brings the noise. He's right about Ron Rivera. You can get mad about it all you want. And yeah, Rivera got touched on by a little bit, but if that dude was white, oh, my God. I can already name you, the writers. Mike Freeman, all racist. Jamel Hill, racist. You're all racist. Yeah, well, hey, look, Ron. All right, he's not racist because, well, you know, he's Hispanic, so he he can't be racist. What a bunch of crap. What a... <laughs> what a complete uh, bunch of crap! By the way, I got the damn awards coming up, and if you missed it, I, I thought the Johnny Manziel documentary was good. I, it was riveting; it kept my attention for an hour twenty minutes. Uh, but Johnny Manziel's pain in the ass. I mean, that's it. Johnny Manziel is a little brat. Johnny Manziel. That's what. It's actually the best word to describe him. Just a little brat. Just kind of a brat, just kind of a guy that's like, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah he's just a brat, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, you know, hey, let me explain something to you, can I, and again, I know I am the wrong guy, I know I am not the right guy for this, now, I do feel, though, I might be the right guy for this. See, I told you already, I'm very honest on my shows. I told you already that I, ladies and gentlemen, Daniel J. Dockich, I am on antidepressant meds, Lexapro. People throw that back in my face all the time. They're hard to get off. In fact, my now nemesis, not nemesis, mortal enemy, Greg Doyle, told me about them. I, you know, we were friends. Doctor wanted to put me on. I knew he took them. I'm like, hey, what do you think? Ah, they're all right. So I took All right. So I, I, I took him. And what are you going to do? All right. Here's the deal. I fight through things. My family motto is sack up. I've been, I don't know if I've ever been fired. I've not been given the job that I had. Contract ran out at Indiana. They didn't give me the job. I guess that's fire. All right. Uh, Bowling Green, before that, I was done. I told him, look, I'm not even going to discuss a contract. I've been here 10 years. That's enough radio. They asked me to make a choice. I made a choice. I'm not sure I've ever really been fired. But life hasn't gone perfectly. I've had great opportunities, I've created some of those opportunities, but you keep going. I don't know. I don't know where I stand with this Jay Monahan. Jay Monahan very arrogantly got up, got up and was very vocal, very critical of others. He's the PGA Tour commissioner. He got up in front of the cameras and really became difficult for guys that went to the Live Tour. He did. He was difficult. He was arrogant. He was somebody that said, "I oh, have you ever had to apologize for being on the PGA Tour? These guys are going to be punished. He was defiant. Jay Monaghan makes about $4 million a year to do this. $4 million. Jay Monahan had to take a leave because of anxiety. Now, the compassionate person in me actually makes $14 million. $8 million. It just depends on who you listen to. Anywhere from $5 to $10 million is what this guy makes. This guy so arrogantly and so defiantly criticized others for their life choices. He had to defend his lead. Now, he had to take a break for anxiety. And I am a big mental health advocate. But I always try to think, do I want a guy who when it really got hot, had to take a break from the heat? I don't know. Do I want him leading me? Do I want him telling me? Do I want him all over my business? Do I want him handling my career? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure I do, and I'm not sure I don't. The compassionate side of me says, Hey, look, good for you, man. But the business side of me says, Hold on. This is a turf war. I need a damn bulldog in here. I need somebody that isn't giving in. I don't need somebody that's going to take eight weeks of paternal leave or maternal leave. I want somebody, this is a crucial time. I want somebody fighting. So the compassionate side of me says, Yeah you do you, man. I'm glad you took the time. Hope you're better. Hope nothing was life-threatening because nobody knows what exactly it was. But the business side of me says, yo, dude, we all got a lot of stress, man, but we all get paid heavy bread for that stress. I'm sure that makes me a bad guy. I mean, a lot of things do, but you're paid a lot of money to be in the big boy arena." You're paid a lot of money and you got a lot of people's lives you're holding in your hand. You suspend guys, that cuts their cash. You ban guys, that cuts their cash. And you're the guy doing it. And when the heat got hot, you had to walk away. Maybe you're not the guy to do it. Doesn't mean you're bad. Doesn't mean you're good. Just means maybe you're not the guy to handle this business. Just because you're not the guy to handle this business, this rough-and-tumble, cutthroat business, doesn't mean you're a bad guy or a good guy. It just means you're not the guy. Not everybody's the guy for every job. You can't put me in charge of Elton John's tour. I wouldn't know how to do it. I can run a basketball camp better than anybody in the country. I can coach kids better than anybody in the country. I can run a radio show or a streaming show better than anybody in the country. But if you say to me, hey, Dan – set up an art museum, I would have anxiety. I would have stress. I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like it at all. Just saying, just saying. I know it's harsh. I know. And I know in the world we live in, oh my God, Doc, it's you're a hypocrite. No, no. Mm -mm. I'm not a hypocrite at all about this. I'm just spitting truths, yo. Would you? I mean, I, I think about it. I know we're all supposed to be whatever you guys think we're supposed to be. Urban Meyer did take a break, but Urban Meyer had a cyst, a tumor, in his head. Now, he didn't want anybody to know all this, but that's a little different. That's a little different than freaking, ah, I got anxiety. I'm not saying I'm right. Dan, Jay didn't suspend or find him. They suspended and find themselves. If they broke the rule, all right, you're, you're probably right. Probably right. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, apparently, we're talking about wives on this. Apparently, uh, I don't know. Hey, Dan, pay me $10 million for a few years. They can fire me for whatever reason they want. A lot of people think that way. I'm not saying I'm right in this. I'm just saying this is how I think. You may not like it. Speaking of Urban Meyer, Urban went over to see the Colorado Buffaloes. And you gamblers out there made it very – he made it very clear that the Colorado Buffaloes have real talent, dudes that could have played at Florida when he was there, which was real talent. So Urban Meyer spoke very highly of Deion Sanders. Now, you got to understand this. There ain't no white guy in the media ever going to speak bad about Deion Sanders until they lose and they get enough cover. You're always looking. You are. Is it okay, white media, to criticize African-American popular coach? Is it all right? Like, it wasn't all right, except for Barstool, to criticize transgender swimming. It wasn't all right at all. You saw what happened. But Barstool said, screw it, we're going to do it. Hey, look, Urban tells the truth. And Urban doesn't need anybody saying yes or no to his opinions on football. His opinions are legendary. And I got to tell you, if Urban Meyer tells me that the Colorado Buffaloes under Deion Sanders have real talent, then guess what? I'm going to believe the Colorado Buffaloes under Deion Sanders have real talent. Not, hey, look, this looks like a talented squad that can develop in a few years. That's not what he said. What he said was, this team has real talent. Real talent. And don't think for a second that Coach Prime, I love saying it that way, Coach Prime. I think it's cool. I think it makes me cool to say it that way. But don't think for a second that Coach Prime can't coach. That dude can coach. That dude knows his way around it. That dude has presence. And Urban said the most important thing that he could say. Coach Prime has hired not good, great coaches. That is huge in football. If you are Coach Prime and you think you know it all and you don't want anybody challenging you, then guess what? Guess what? You don't hire great coaches. We got some audio on this. Let's hear from Urban talking about Coach Prime and the Buffs.
1: I mean, I've known Deion Sanders a long time. I've always loved Deion Sanders. I respect him. We get along. Uh, I called him up. I was out west. We have you the first two games. He was more than gracious to have me out there. The most underrated people... Obviously, you got your players. The most underrated people in football are the assistant coaches. And he's hired really good coaches. I went to the meetings. I watched him practice. They have, I believe, 70 new players. So I call this thing the grand experiment. And I'm telling you, Colin, I mean, that was not what I expected. I thought that we'd see, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect, but I saw a very good team. I saw talented players. His son's an excellent quarterback. They got a, uh, Travis Hunter is one of the, you know, I looked at uh, Prime, and I said, man, that, I've had one of those. I called Percy Harvin. I just pushed him to the side. You don't need to practice him much longer. He's that good. How
2: about that? That Travis Hunter was the number one recruit in the country coming out, and he went to go play for Coach Prime at an HBCU. And now he's at Colorado. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. We can clip this video, save it for later, but I am putting my money, three and a half is the number, season win total for Coach Prime and the fellas at Colorado. I'm taking the over. I'm going to do it this evening before it moves, and maybe it has moved. I don't know. I haven't looked on DraftKings. But I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, Urban doesn't BS. He doesn't need to. Little white media guy, they're never going to criticize Coach Prime until it's okay. Urban, don't need to. Could have said whatever. Didn't have to say anything, actually. All right, don't at me. I got some awards to give away. And Colby Covington, the people's champ, coming up at 1030. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Hey, welcome back. It is 10 o'clock. Let's review the big stories of the day, shall we, before we get to the Don't At Me Awards. I'm wearing purple. Why, you ask? No, it's not Lent. I'm wearing purple because I am in support of Northwestern coaches who came out to practice wearing Cats Against the World with a number 51 on it. That's right. Cats Against the World. Well, let me tell you something. Not everybody, not everybody has to just put their head up in the air, their snout up in the air, and say, we had hazing, everything about Pat Fitzgerald is awful. You don't have to do that. Some of these guys were affected incredibly positively over the course of Pat Fitzgerald's tenure, and they chose to support him. Cats Against the World would be great. The 51 which is Pat Fitzgerald's old number on the shirt, is what blanked everybody off. That's what made people mad. So the athletic director, of course, he had to come out and condemn the tone-deaf nature of the shirts. Really? All right. I guess. Maybe they are. But I never had a problem with it. I think you go to college, I think you're around college, to speak out, to stand for something. I slept in shantytown. With apartheid, protesting apartheid when I was in Bloomington in done Meadow, but only because two hot girls asked me. I mean, I'm you know, I tried to work my way in there for a little bit of something, something, you know what I'm saying, and it didn't work. But hey, I took a swing. I was protesting, I was down for the cause, because you're in college, baby. Yeah, hazing is bad. Yeah, I'm never I'm glad I was never subjected to it. Yeah, if anybody in my program ever did it, I would have kicked them out. But hey to each his own, man. And if the AD was so righteous, the AD was so down to get rid of hazing in his school, in his athletic department, he had done something about it when it was going on. Now it's after the fact. All right, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll, please. The Don't At Me Awards. And we go to which is dumber. Which is dumber, Ron Rivera throwing his offensive coordinator, Eric bien under the bus, or the Orioles suspending Kevin Brown? For those of you that don't know, Kevin Brown is a very popular broadcaster with the Orioles, and at a game, to set up a game against the uh, Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays, we can't say devil because, well, that's bad. Anyway, Kevin Brown had the audacity to say, hey, look, this is a big series. Hey, look, the Orioles haven't done well here in Tropicana Field. The Orioles haven't done well in this series. Got suspended. Now, Ron Rivera, we have documented this. Ron Rivera, well, frankly, Ron Rivera just simply threw his offensive coordinator under the bus in another attempt by Ron Rivera to ingrain himself to the left-leaning media. He thought by being a player's guy and criticizing the mean old offensive coordinator that he would curry favor with the left-leaning media, and of course that backfired on him to the point where Ron Rivera had to read a statement, had to read a statement that he tried to hide. I say the Oreos are dumber. Ron Rivera I just expect stupid out of now. I just come to expect it, but I don't expect an organization A billion dollar organization to be so ridiculous, so sensitive, so asinine as to suspend somebody for very honestly setting up a game. When you're in broadcasting and you are getting the game going, you set the game up, you say what's what with the game. What's going on in this game? What is interesting about this game? You know, we've gone from everything to highlighting players, to highlighting the rivalry, to highlighting the gambling line. We see it all. Kevin Brown just highlighted what was a one-sided rivalry. And the Orioles got sensitive. Kevin Brown being suspended by the Orioles is far, far, far dumber than anything Ron Rivera did. Because, well, frankly, we just expect stupid out of Ron Rivera. All right. I got to ask you, who would you rather be? Would you rather be in charge of Bud Light or the Pac-12? Man, if you came into either right now, it can only go up, right? The Pac-12 is dying on the vine. If you came in now, you would make a big salary. You would have no expectation. And you could it could only go up. Well, I could say the same thing about Bud Light. If you came in right now to Bud Light, it can only go up. Word on the street is... It is a $395 million loss for Bud Light because conservatives said, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to stand up. The silent majority that was coined by Ronald Reagan back in the late 70s, early 80s has stood up. I wish it would stand up more. The silent majority said, nay-nay-nanook, uh-uh, no. No, 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 no. You're not pushing a giggly... Uh, caricature of a woman on us. You are not at all, not even, don't even give it a thought to get rid or to buy Bud Light because they don't want your money, you frat boys, you hard workers, you cowboys, you radio hosts, you streaming hosts. No, they don't want your money. They want the LGBTQ money. That's what they said, and people responded. I don't know who I'd rather be in charge of. I'll say I want to be in charge of Bud Light because you could be like Lee Iacocca, a name from the past, that saved GM and went and got Chrysler going. Lee Iacocca died. Anybody seen Chrysler? No. I want to be the guy hired right now to resurge, reorganize, reinvent Bud Light. And I would start with an apology I'd get the L-G-T-B-Q-R-E-A-B-C-D community mad at me. I'd say, I don't give a rat's ass. We screwed up. We don't want to hear from Dylan Mulvaney. We're going to give $10 million to women, and let's go. I don't know. (laughs) But I wouldn't want to be around the Pac-12. That ship, it be a sinking. Who has a better season this year, Justin Fields or Jordan Love? I don't know. I'm a big fan of Jordan Love. No, I'm not. I said that wrong. I'm a big fan of Justin Fields. I'm a Bears fan from jump. I've always felt the Packers, whether it was Brett Favre or whether it was Aaron Rodgers, are just inherently dull. I do. I feel them to be dull. I feel them to be uninspiring. I think their uniforms suck. And it has nothing to do with the Packers whomping on the Bears. You know, the truth of the matter is, I haven't really paid attention to the Bears in about 10, 15 years, ever since I became the face, the voice of all things indie. But yeah, last year I did. I sat right on this couch and I said, you know what? I'm going to watch this Fields guy. And the Bears did what the Bears did last year. They had a lead. They looked good. They crapped it away. They lost. But I came away thinking, look, in the modern NFL, I'll take Justin Fields. I don't know what to make of Jordan Love. I don't know whether Jordan Love's going to be the next in line of Favre and Rodgers and now Love. I have no idea. It doesn't seem like it. But who knows? I would argue it didn't seem like Aaron Rodgers was going to be Aaron Rodgers. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take Justin Fields in a romp. I will. Now, if you're going to go by who wins more, I don't know, because I'm not a big Matt Eberfluss fan. I'm just not. I know Chicago loves him because he's the next coach in there, and that's good. But I'm I, And my wife likes him because they grew up together. Eberfluss is the coach of the Bears. I've just never been the guy that is like, all right, this guy, I think he's all talk. I've always thought Eberfluss is all talk. So I'll take that guy right there, Justin Fields. Cringier coach, Dabo Sweeney. Or Jim Harbaugh? I don't know. You know, I had a weird thing happen. Out of the blue, Dan Radakovich, who was the uh, athletic director at Clemson, just started texting me. I don't know why. Which made me like Clemson. Which made me like Dabo Sweeney. I think Jim Harbaugh is America's cringiest coach. He looks like the Joker right there. I walked by. Urban Meyer and I were going to the car at Indiana against Michigan. Urban was doing high noon, and I was there to watch Indiana-Michigan. Urban stayed at my house. So we were going to the car. It was me, Urban, and my stepson. And we're in a little back hallway on the south end of Indiana's Memorial Stadium. Urban and I are walking, and here comes Harbaugh with some of his minions. They meet. Urban goes, hey, coach, nice win. Jim Harbaugh goes, A bleep, bleep, bleep. we walked on by, Urban turned around and looked at me. I go, what the fuck was that? What the was that? What 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 happened? What what what? Like, couldn't hey coach, how are you? Nice to see you, coach. You know, he literally got intimidated, I think, or scared or nervous, or all of the above, and went... (laughs) Okay, so nobody will ever be worse than that guy, in my opinion. Like, I would assume Dabo Sweeney, even if they had had a big rivalry, would have been an adult and go, Hey, how you doing, boss? Good to see you. (laughs) I swear to you, that may be... (laughs) Maybe a more a more coherent Jim Harbaugh imitation than Jim Harbaugh actually was. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, I guess, yeah, all right. Hey, here's something for you, uh, man. I I I don't know. I, I don't know where to go with this. You ready? A, testric, a Texas district had to fire a first grade teacher who joked about killing her sister's white boyfriend and hiding the body. A teacher. Like my daughter's a teacher. My mother was a teacher. My father was a teacher. I don't know a single t. I had Sister Anastasia. Sister Anastasia in third grade was 726 years old. Sister Anastasia threw me and Amy Atar out of her third grade class and made us go in Mrs. Jacobs. I gave Sister, not proud of this, but Freddie Vienna, my friend, says the first time he ever saw the finger was when Sister Geraldine turned her back and flipped off, or I flipped her off. I'm going to hell for flipping off Sister Geraldine, although I would argue I would be going to hell more for the gutlessness of doing it behind her back than for actually flipping off an incredibly mean nun. I'm just saying. She was mean. She would poke us and we'd have blood coming out of our white shirts. But anyway, one thing Sister Geraldine never did was threaten to kill. Kill. In front of kids. Her sister's boyfriend because he was white. Because he was white. We're going to kill We got to kill him. We got to kill the white guy. I I don't know what to make of this. I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't understand it. I don't understand how you say this in front of children. All right. Uh, you want to watch the NBA. Last year, you couldn't really watch it, could you? I mean, I could because I guess Comcast kept ballys, so I had to watch Quinn Buckner, our very verbose announcer, talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and then the man who's more milk toast than any, Kristen Airy, tell you about his dog and his water. Anyway, well now, ladies and gentlemen, the national nightmare of not being able to get your NBA team may be over. Disney, Apple, Amazon, YouTube are among the streaming sites circling. They're circling. They want an opportunity to show you bad basketball. They want an opportunity to show you horrific basketball. You'll get it. All right, I have thoughts on this. I'm going to say something that's going to get me into trouble. Crypto.com Arena is where the Lakers play. I thought it was Staples. What the hell do I know? But anyway, Crypto.com Arena and the Lakers want to put a Kobe Bryant statue out in front of it. They want to put a statue with the team uh, going 8-8-24, his jersey, his jersey, his jersey, unveiling in a nod to his jerseys. You know what I always think of when I think of Kobe Bryant? I don't think of mamba and greatness. I think of rape. I think of paying off a woman. That's what I think of. And I'm curious. I'm always curious about this. I'm always curious how about how did Kobe Bryant who went to trial stop the trial because the woman that he allegedly assaulted took a plea agreement, not a plea agreement, took cash to silence her and let Kobe off the hook. Kobe admitted having sex out of wedlock. Kobe admitted his agent has told people in my circle that, yeah, uh, we had to make sure when Kobe was staying there that no women employees were coming. I mean, this is what was told to my brother by one of the agents. I think of a predator. I know you don't, and I know I'm wrong. I know I am. You know, apparently, you guys think of a girl mom, Dan. You guys think of the mamba. You guys think, I think of hard work. There's no doubting Kobe Bryant was a hard-working dude. There's no doubt Kobe Bryant was a mean, tough competitor. Those things I respect. But I have a daughter, stepdaughter, mother, wife, ex-wife, nieces, sister-in-law. I don't know. I, I don't know. I know we're all supposed to genuflect. And I know we're all supposed to bow at the greatness of this man. And I understand the idea that Kobe Bryant is the greatest. He did everything great. Really? I think differently. I wonder if Barbara Walters, God rest her soul, or I think she's dead, or anybody, obviously not Barbara Walters if she's passed, but anybody. Who would be the next interview? Oprah? Oprah? I wonder if anybody's reached out to the young lady that went to court against Kobe Bryant, got vilified for doing it. wonder if she's ever going to speak, guessing she got a lot of money. I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm just saying that's what I think of. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Le'Veon Bell wants to box Logan Paul. I don't recommend it. He's saying Logan Paul is ducking him. Now this is the latest in an attempt by who at one point was the best running back in the NFL. Don't at me about this. He was, I remember saying it, people, Adrian Peterson, man. I'm like, well, you guys don't know running backs. He was the best. Then he decided to do a Jonathan Taylor and he's not, he has not been heard from since except for things like this. You really can't duck me forever. Logan Paul, at some point you're going to have to see me in that boxing ring. Why? Like, why does somebody have to see Le'Veon Bell anywhere? Why does Le'Veon Bell need to be anywhere? Like, I don't get it. You're going to have to see me in that boxing ring. Oh, Okay, I guess. But why? Why? Well, let me ask you a question. I don't know. Maybe I'm totally off on this. But if I'm Logan Paul, I'll take a payday to beat the living crap out of Le'Veon Bell. I'll take a payday, but it got to be a big payday. I mean, I I think, I do. I I think it's got to be a big payday. I'm just not letting you into my publicity. I'm not. There's no way I am. And if he's supposed to, then I don't understand it. All right, Ron DeSantis did something interesting the other day. Ron DeSantis is the governor. He is the governor of, you know what he's at, Florida. And he's made Florida a great state. He has. He's made Florida somewhere where there are absolute, well, there are laws. And those laws are to be fired. They are. They're to be followed. And if you're not going to follow the law, then you are not going to be a prosecutor. You are not going to work as an attorney general. You are not going to work For Ron DeSantis, and that's ultimate and the people of Florida. Now, if you want to get mad about that, great. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you at all. You be mad. You be absolutely mad. You go, girl. Well, Ron DeSantis got mad. Ron DeSantis fired a state prosecutor because she was soft on crime. She let out a dude who was a multiple offender. She, ladies and gentlemen, let a man out who went then and murdered, murdered two police officers. That's what she did. And now she's crying. Now she's complaining. Well, of course she is. Ron DeSantis is not letting soft on crime prosecutors exist in his state. Is that bad? I mean, I get it. He's being crushed because, oh, by the way, the prosecutor was African-American woman. Huh. Democratic state's attorney, Monique Warrell has been suspended immediately, citing lack of mandatory minimum sentencing for various crimes. This lady, Monique Warrell, let a guy out who was on probation at the time. He was arrested for sexually assaulting a child. Guy was on probation. This lady, this Monique Morwell, let her out, let this dude out. What did he do? He went and killed two cops. Good for Ron DeSantis. Good. Claim everything you want, Monique. Claim it all, baby. Throw the book at him. He fired a woman. He fired a woman of color. He fired a Democrat. You do you. Give them the, give them it with both barrels, but just stay suspended because the country and certainly Florida is safer with you not in your job. And frankly, I don't care if you're black, if you're white, doesn't matter to really anybody, but when you let out dudes that assaulted child who are already on probation and they end up killing two cops you're incompetent at your job. It's that simple. Not a matter of black, not a matter of white, not a matter of woman, not a matter of male, not a matter of Republican, not a matter of Democrat, a matter of being inept at your job. We judge people, ladies and gentlemen, by the content of their character and their actions, not by the color of their skin. We are not the Indy Star. We are not Gannett. We are not the New York Times. We are not the Washington Post. We are in pocket with nobody. We tell you the truth. We tell you what we believe. And we move it along, people, because that's what OutKick does. And if you don't understand it, I can't help you. And if you are on our YouTube chat, please subscribe and like. It's And ring the bell. Get the alerts when we're coming up. Because these are the only shows in America where you're going to get honesty, where you're going to get truth, justice, and the American way in sports and, ladies and gentlemen, in politics. And Navy Saylor was accused of spying for Russia. Listen to this. He was encouraged to continue to do so. Okay. Was it by the mob he was encouraged? Were there threats over him? Was it because of... What was it? Who did the encouraging of a Navy sailor to spy for Russia? You know who it was? Was it Mother Russia? No, it was just mom. (laughs) A Navy sailor's mom told him, Hey, pretty good idea. Why don't you go out there and why don't you spy for Russia? For the Ruskies. Mom? Mom? Is that you? Uh, yeah. Hey, look. I don't know. It seems like a good idea. It seems like something we should get involved in. Huh? His mom thought it would help him secure a better job with the Chinese Communist Party. That's right. The mother The mother of a sailor said, hey, uh, you know what, Uh, I think this will help you. The mother of a U.S. Navy sailor charged with providing sensitive military information to China encouraged her son to cooperate with a Chinese intelligence officer, telling her son that it might help him get a job. This is a Chinese dude, Jin Chao Wei, who's an American, But apparently, he was born in China. He was approached by a Chinese intelligence officer in February while he was applying to become a naturalized citizen. Admitted to the officer that he knew the arrangement could affect his application. Even so, he provided the officer detailed information on the weapons systems and aircraft aboard the Essex and other amphibious assault ships that act as small aircraft carriers. There you go. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. You go to mom for advice on love. You go to mom for advice on cooking. You go to a mom advice on life. Mom, share your experience with me on this. But mom, I think this doesn't even have to be said. Do not, please. Do not tell your sons to be Chinese spies. Just don't. It's never going to end well. Maybe it's ended well for some. We just haven't heard about it. But I feel it's never going to end well. You know who Colby Covington is? You will when you when we're done here. He is one of the good guys. Uh, he is one of the great boxers in our world. That's right. Colby Covington is the man. Yeah, he is. He the man. MMA. Let's go. The king of Miami. MAGA. First ever USC champ. Invited to the White House. That's right. Next. Colby coming. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. I mean, he's a people's champ. That's right. He's a people's champ. Don't at me about it either. The name of the show is Don't At Me, so don't at me. Colby Covington is America's champ. He's right here. He's got his Make America Great hat again. You know, I've always said this. I've always said, man, make America great. Now, just again, just think about that. What the hell is so wrong with that? It's never been more apropos than right now with the blank show that we got in Washington, Colby.
0: It's four simple words, Dan. Make America great again. And the man that stands behind it wants to put America first and, you know, protect this country, keep the money in this country, keep inflation down, keep our country secure with the borders. I mean, there's so much good that President Trump wants to do for this country and everybody just wants to shame and smear his name constantly. They have no real evidence on him. They just want to smear it. But... He's coming back stronger than ever in 2024, and we're going to make America greater than it's ever been
2: before in 2024. What happens when you wear that hat? I mean, I get
0: a lot of disgust and a lot of people that look at me weird and they look at me funny like they're going to do something, but then they see the ears and they start to recognize who I am and they realize I am the best fighter on earth. So they have to really put themselves in check. They can think whatever they want inside, but, you know, they can't talk the talk and walk the walk like them, like I do. So they know they have to kind of pipe down like little kids, otherwise they're going to get put in place by the people's jam.
2: Yeah, the ears. The ears, because you were a great wrestler, an All-American, a champion. That's good advice for people. Before you think you can go at somebody, you better check the damn ears on that guy. <laughs>
0: It's a true statement, man.
2: I, I remember when I
0: wrestled in Iowa, and, and all every time we'd go to a bar, everybody would just say, hey, man, just look at the ears. As long as no one has cauliflower ears, we can go try and pick on them. Yeah. Otherwise, don't pick
2: on the guy that has cauliflower ear. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, a friend of mine in college was a wrestler, and he told me that, and I've never – so funny you say that because I have told my friends that – For like, I'm 60 years old. I'll say for 40 years, I've told my friends, don't be a dumbass in a bar if a guy's got the cauliflower work. (laughs) That's so funny. When did you decide? (laughs) When did you decide to get political?
0: I I, I decided to get political in uh, 2018. You know, I remember in 2016, they had told us that there was no race, you know, Hillary was a shoe in you know, they were just pretty much putting her in that she was going to be the candidate and, you know, I I saw Trump and I loved Trump because I loved the way he did business, you know, I just thought he was a a very smart businessman and that's something that we needed here in this country. We don't need some politically correct guy, we need a guy that's smart with business that can handle this country, that can do what's in the best interest of the country. So you know, Donald Trump was that guy so I wanted to join the fight because, you know, I'm a professional athlete and I saw in the professional sports world of athletes that we were only being shoved one one thing down our throat when we were told to take it hey you're going to take this woke ideology down your throat and you're going to accept it like it's flaming yon and i was like no nah, that's not flaming yon that's that's dog shit so to speak you know the the liberal way the woke way is not the way of the future it's not the way that's best for this country and the best for the future generations so you know, I wanted to join the fight because I was sick of the one-sided, you know, muzzle being sh- shoved down my throat. So I decided to join the fight of Make America Great Again, and it's the best decision I ever made.
2: Do you have, you your support of Trump is well-documented. You have memories, a favorite memory. You've met Trump. I, I know you've met him, but I don't know if it's many times. Do you have a, uh, a memory or a thought that what makes him so special? Man, I, I have so many great memories. Uh,
0: I remember the first memory that I had with him in the White House and he he brought me into the Oval Office and I went in there and I, I saw him and my eyes just lit up and he was so big and I was like, man, this guy's a freaking giant, man. I mean, his hands were like lunch boxes. I was like, I would not want to get hit by President Trump. If President Trump hit me, he could easily <laughs> KO me. And there's not a man alive that could KO me, but President Trump, he could definitely KO me. Those hands are big. But I remember getting in the Oval Office and here, here this is the leader of the free world, you know, the 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 most famous man on earth. And here he is making jokes about himself. He's like, hey, Colby, you know what I most respect about you? I respect about your hard work and your drive as a wrestler because I used to wrestle, Colby. I was like, oh, yeah, President Trump, you used to wrestle? He's like, yeah, Colby, I used to wrestle. But I was the guy that was counting the lights in the gym, <laughs> which means in wrestling that you were on your back and you were getting pinned. So it's just funny that he would make that analogy about himself, you know, as the leader of the free world, the most power, powerful, prestigious man in the world making jokes about himself. Just just a, just a great memory in the Oval Office that I'll never forget. And the fact that he made my dreams come true, you know, a blue collar kid from a small town in Oregon. Now I was in the White House hanging out with the president in the Oval Office. You know, he made my dreams come true. And, you know, I'm, I can I can't thank him anymore because of it.
2: Well Kobe, let, let me ask you because um, a lot of people say things publicly that they don't necessarily believe privately, particularly people that, oh, I don't know, you know have something to lose if they say certain things. So in your world, in the world of the UFC, how many people come up to you supporting what you're saying about not only Trump, but the garbage that is the woke movement? Uh, How how supported are you in your own sports world?
0: In my own sports world, you know, I'm not supported – At all, Dan. You know, I I went against the grain. All the MMA media, they are all these liberal journalists that – they're not even journalists, Dan, because they don't have journalism degrees. But they do MMA journalism, which is nothing more than a fan club. It's a bunch of these guys that are fans of the sport, and they just want to have a free ticket and and report on MMA fighting. But these guys are in their mom's basement – And they'd rather have government control and their safe spaces and all all the liberal agenda than talk about, you know, America first. Talk about all the great policies that Trump installed. So, you know, not a lot of people like me, but you know what? I don't really care because I've become undeniable. When you become so good at something, it doesn't matter what people think of you. I can't be denied and I won't be refused. So, you know, I'm going to keep standing up for President Trump. I'm going to keep standing up for the silent majority out there that, that doesn't have a platform because... That's what it is. You need to have a platform in today's world to to really be able to do something and be the change that you want to be in the world. So, you know, I'm going to be the change that I want to see in this country, and, you know, I'm going to keep fighting for the MAGA movement.
2: And speaking of fighting, what, what what has been your favorite fight thus far? Who's been your toughest opponent?
0: Yeah, my, my toughest opponent has been a guy named Ruthless Robbie Lawler. You know, one of the most, you know, decorated welterweights of all time former a world welterweight champion of the UFC, first battle ballot Hall of Famer. The guy just, you know, he was a friend of mine, and it was hard to actually have to fight a friend. And and uh, just he had incredible power in his strikes. Every time he threw a power, power strike, you could feel it from, you know, 50 feet away. The guy just, you know, he, he was the guy that the moms would talk about Hey, this is the guy that's the boogeyman under your bed at night, kids. So make sure you uh tuck yourself <laughs> in and and watch out for him.
2: Oh man, I thought the boogeyman wasn't real. I didn't realize he lived <laughs> and resides in the UFC. I like it. <laughs> hey, uh wrestling to UFC. How difficult is that? Am- Are you talking about amateur wrestling or professional wrestling? No, I'm talking about amateur wrestling, you know, to all of a sudden, now I got to take some of that, but I got to add a bunch of to- a bunch to it to be a UFC fighter.
0: It's tough, you know, but, you know, all good things in life, they're not going to come easy, Dan. You have to work extremely hard for them. So, you know, I knew when I was transitioning from wrestling to fighting that I was going to have to become a well-rounded mixed martial artist. I wasn't just going to be... Very good in one discipline of martial arts, which is wrestling anymore. I had to become a good boxer, a good kickboxer, a good jujitsu artist. So as long as you put the time in and you make the sacrifices and you're dedicated to the craft, anything's possible. You can become great in a couple of years, but you know, you, ha- you have to have the right values, you have to have the right morals and, and you know, if, if you stick your nose to the grindstone, anything's possible. And that's why I'm here as the best fighter in the world because I never gave up and I kept working hard even when I
2: didn't want to. Jake and Logan Paul are all the rage. Are we going to see you get in the ring? What are we going to do here?
0: I mean, they're, they're all the rage, not for the right reasons. Not They're not real fighters. I mean, they can't win real fights against tough fighters. So, you know, I don't know. I don't... You know they're they're, they're little circus sideshows. You know they're they're on the side. They're fighting in these little you know unsanctioned fights and fighting against guys that aren't relevant. Guys that are fifty years old. Guys that are fifty pounds bigger than them. Why aren't they fighting against guys their own weight class? Would you fight scared. them? I mean, of course I'd fight them. It'd be an easy fight. I mean, they're little Disney stars. I'd break them in half. If I drop MAGA on them for one punch, they'd run away crying to their mom. They'd be looking for a safe space. But, you know, I'm in the UFC. I'm a company man. I love the UFC. So I only want to fight the biggest and best fights the UFC has to offer. So I don't want to fight these little Disney, Lizzie, Lizzie McGuire stars.
2: (laughs) What kind of cash could you make out of a Covington Paul fight? Either one.
0: I don't know, you know. I think I think that's that's up to for the to the, for the people to determine. You know, what kind of cash does the people think that this fight is worth, and and do the people really want to see this? You know, I I think it generates a lot of revenue. I think you know I'm the I'm one of the biggest stars in the sport today. No one does it better than I'm doing it. I walk the walk to talk, and I talk I talk to talk, and I walk the walk. So you know, I think it could it could be a big fight, but. You know, I'm just going to focus on what's in front of me and what's in front of me right now. I don't want to look past anybody. That's Leon Edwards Scissorhands. So, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to go get my Walter title, title and Leon Ed- Edwards Scissorhands' career and-, and bring this title back to America right before the election. It's going to be massive, Dan. Can't wait.
2: Hey, uh, when you're done with a UFC fight, the fight's over, you've won. How long does it take you to come down?
0: Uh, yeah, I would. I would say like 24 hours. You know, there's there's a lot of adrenaline that's still rushing through you after you get done with the fight, and you know it's a little overwhelming because you have all your supporters, all your family, all the people that are behind you, backing you that that want to get your attention and want to talk to you and want to ask you questions. Oh, how was the fight? How was this? And you know, it, it takes a little bit to process it and come down from. I would say about 24 hours, though.
2: Are you one of those guys that abstains from everything, you know, bad food, beer, women? I mean, are you, you know, w- w- what's your time frame for all that kind of stuff?
0: I mean, I- I'm so focused on my goals and dreams. I mean, there's a reason I'm right here at the top of the world, you know, doing the biggest and best business in the UFC and, and uh, fighting, you know, at the front lines for the MAGA movement, you know, I, I'm a very disciplined guy. You know, I don't go out. I don't drink. You know, I I, I put my career and fighting first above everything else. You know, that comes before girls and relationships because, you know, I have a message to send the world. You know, I'm standing up for the military. I'm giving a platform to our first responders, to our law enforcement, the people that I think are the real heroes and backbone of America right now. So, you know, my fight is bigger than just me. It's not just about me, Dan. It's about... The MAGA movement. It's about blue collar America. It's about middle America. It's about first responders. It's about military. So, you know, I'm very serious, and I take this career very serious. There's no distractions that I have in my career. It's it's only fight, 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 and win, win, win.
2: Are you amazed at you can be criticized for those things? No, I'm I'm not amazed because a lot of
0: people they don't care about our veterans, Dan. They, they think that our veterans should, should come home from war and just have no, no help. They think that, you know, we should help illegal aliens before we help our, our veterans, the people that fought on the front lines for our freedoms, you know. So it, it's disgusting. It's despicable, all the people out there that are just disgusting and don't care about the people that gave them those very freedoms. So. I won't forget about those people. You know, I'm going to keep fighting for our our military because military runs in my family. My grandpa served in the Korean and Vietnam war for the Air Force. So, you know, I hold the military and first responders and to a very high standard. And I'm going to make sure that they're never forgotten. They have a big platform.
2: If you had a chance to say anything in the Oval Office, like you had a chance with Donald Trump, what would you say to Hunter and Joe Biden?
0: I would say that they're crooked. They're they're crooked. And they're, that's the worst uh, administration in the history of this country. They've done so much harm and damage to this country that it's going to take many years of Donald Trump undoing. So, you know, it's disgusting. All they're, they're foreign agents. Everybody knows they've sold out to China and to Ukraine and Russia and all these foreign countries. So they're nothing more than foreign agents. They don't care about this country anymore. So. That's why we need Donald Trump back more than ever right now because he's going to put America first and he's going to make America great again.
2: Hey Kobe, good luck in your next fight and I uh I I wherever you fight, if you ever fight the Pauls, I'm coming out there just to watch the entire show beforehand with you just making fun of them, my man. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate you. By the way, my dukes are up, pal.
0: Always keep those dukes up, Dan. Always. Never
2: drop them. Never drop them. Never. Never Thanks, (laughs) Colby. I appreciate you. Thanks, and have a great day, brother. brother. God bless. (laughs) God bless you as well, Colby. Colby Covington. I love it. Love the energy right there. Right. I mean, I love what he said about the pause because if you're a real fighter, you're like, what the fuck is these guys? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like if you're a real singer, you're like, what are these? What are we doing here? What we got yeah. going? I mean, come on. A guy like Colby coming he's just a man. Thanks, my friend. Hope you'll come back. Great stuff Definitely. right there. Great, great, great stuff. Can't wait for his next fight. Can't. He just got a new fan right here. I'm all fired up today. I may go jump on my son and beat the hell out of him. He's 28. He's over in the next room. He may just get an ass whooping just because I'm fired up right now. That's right. That's right, damn it. Hey, uh, I got to defend Phil Mickelson. I'm going to defend Phil Mickelson right here. I'm tired of people on Phil Mickelson. It's Phil Mickelson's money. Seriously. So now, you know, there's a book out. Everybody wants a book. Billy Walters has a book out. All right. Listen to this about Mickelson. According to a new memoir from legendary gambler Billy Walters, we should have Walters on. He's like an amazing story. Phil Mickelson wagered $1 billion with a B on sports. The last three decades, that's not bad. That's only about $333 million a year or a decade. What? He has lost nearly a million dollars gambling, nine bets per day in 2011. What? 43 Major League Baseball bets in one day. Tried to bet on the Ryder Cup he was playing in. So what? So nine bets a day is bad. Phil Mickelson's a damn legend. Phil Mickelson is absolutely a legend. What up, legend? What up, Phil Mickelson? Yeah, it's his money. I mean, who gives a rat's ass? 43 bets in a day? That's a Sunday for most guys I know. In football, they got, like, bets on yards. They got bets over unders. They got bets on the spread. They got bets on the money line. 43 bets. I don't do that many because I can't keep up with it. My head explodes. But 43 bets? Are you kidding me? In a day? Who cares? That's like, I don't know. That would be, like, Sunday, Monday football, Thursday, Saturday. Are you kidding me? Who gives a rats? Was that wrong? What? 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 what was Was that wrong? Huh? What, what Was was that wrong? When is nine bets a day too many bets? And who cares? Dude's made a zillion dollars. Hey, wait a second. I got a big bet this weekend, so Phil does a member guest or Phil does an appearance at some rich dude's house for 50K. Oh, I'm going to play in the match. All right, give me a million. Uh, I'm going to put it on the Celtics tonight. Why does anybody care? I don't. Look. You can get mad all you'd like. You can get mad, you can get pissed, you can get whatever. But I stand with Mickelson and his ability to say, hey, look, look, I got this money, I like the bet, I love the action, I'm bored as hell, let's ride. Man, this is like this is like some bombshell. Oh, okay. Really? All right. You know, the media will cover this more than they will cover Joe Biden making millions from Kazakhstan or the Ukraine. They will. Mark my words. Seriously. Mark my words. Uh, Dan, I bought a Hunter Biden painting. It was a black canvas, all white. Hunter, Hunter Biden said it was titled Crack Attic in a Blizzard. <laughs> Uh-oh. Jennifer says the Indy Star headline, Dockets threatens to abuse son in his sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Who gives a rat's ass? They will cover that more than the bribes Joe Biden and Hunter took. They will cover that more than all of the crap that the Biden crime family is involved in. Book it. They've already covered whether anybody cared on the right about the United States women's soccer team than they have about Joe Biden taking billions, if not millions, if not billions, from a bunch of companies in the Middle East and Ukraine. Are you crazy? Oh, my God. Phil Mickelson. I don't give a rat's ass. What I do care about Is our daily dose of, I'd like to get Hunter in the octagon. I'm with you, Jason. Put him up. Come here, come here, come here. Get away, get away, get away. Come here, come here, come here. Get away, get away, get away. What a fun day we had. Dylan, you guys are rocking. Nick, you guys are rolling. Ryan, our new booker. How about our new guest booker, uh, Gary? How about our new guest booker, Aaron? We're rolling on this show. Hey, tomorrow we got Governor Abbott. How about that Governor Abbott of Texas is coming on the big show yeah it's the big show let's go to woke dope shall we what's first we woken we dope it come on The... Ara- <laughs> John Kerry from right to left <laughs> Mo, Larry, Curley. Larry, Mo, and Curley. Uh, that's awesome. I did not know this. A friend of mine who I went to college with who has me blocked on Twitter named John Jennings, he was John Kerry's chief of staff. He, this guy's had the most amazing life. He blocked me on Twitter, don't know why. He was a manager for us in Indiana, inept, had to get fired. Then he became the video coordinator of the Pacers. Then he became somehow an assistant on the bench with Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics. Then he became a Harvard fellow. Then he ran all of John Kerry's stuff and uh, started the main red clause. So every time I see John Kerry now, but this is absolutely the truth. These three clowns are exactly like the top, except three guys on the bottom are racist, three guys on the top were not. Number two woke-a-dope, ladies and gentlemen, let's have a look. The tolerant left, the White Walkers, the tolerant left is coming. Guard the wall. Remember, it is tolerance to burn down our cities. It is tolerance to have to board up our downtown when a right-leaning Donald Trump a conservative Donald Trump got elected president. It is intolerance when right-leaning people don't like our soccer team. Led by the purple-haired anti-American traitor, Megan Rapino. It is treasonous to not like our soccer team. It is patriotic to loot our cities, bash our businesses, set fire to homes. Because a president was elected that you don't like from the left. Brace yourselves. The tolerant left is among us. (laughs) Give me a third one, will you please? I'm having too much fun today. I am. Joe Biden votes after the release of Hunter. (laughs) Joe Biden voters after the release of the Hunter Biden laptop. If we didn't acknowledge it, It doesn't exist. Let me tell you something about if we didn't acknowledge it, it doesn't exist. When something bad would happen to me when I was a real little kid, I would put the covers over my head and I would close my eyes. That way, whatever was bad would go away. It would. It would go away. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your friend and my friend, Joe Biden. Vote Biden, because if we don't acknowledge it, it didn't happen. That is not what the far left crazy lunatics of Gannett and Indie Star and Washington Post and New York Times have told us. They've told us silence is complicit. Meaning if you don't speak on it, then you are agreeing with it. You're promoting it. You're enhancing it. Well, I haven't seen any, 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 any of our far left-leaning, crazy-ass media even talking about the crimes that are documented, well-documented by the Biden crime family. I haven't seen any of our left-leaning, incredibly insane media talking about the money that James Comer and his oversight committee clearly shows the Biden crime family took. Is their silence complicit? Is the silence of our most beloved reporters, our most vigilant journalists, is that in compliance with Joe Biden and the Biden crime family? Of course it is. And if you don't think it is, then you're crazy peoples. You're just crazy peoples. You're, you're sitting here, And you're crazy people, Danny, Danilio. I'm my grandfather, Danny. You, you peoples, is crazies. You crazies, people. You know what I mean? Remember, as Jen Gritty says, and she quotes the great Costanza, "It isn't a lie if you believe it." Yeah. Just don't write a song about the looting. Just don't write a song about the terror that a bunch of idiots. Put on our major cities. Don't even think about writing a song about it because then the left leaning media gets pissed. They get mad. We'll show you. Don't criticize Megan Rapino, then we'll get pissed. We ain't mad about, hey, look, our side, the far crazy ass left, burning down our cities. We're not mad about downtown Indy and every other major city having to board up their windows when Donald Trump got elected because. Well, the most tolerant among us, the left, is going to do some robbing and raping and murdering and pillaging and plundering. But the media will tell you, if, you're, if you don't like Megan Rapino, then you're on the cruel side. I lift a cheek to you. Maybe that should be a new, new segment. Who am I lifting a cheek to? You know, when you're sitting in a chair and you lift a cheek, you know what you're doing, right? You're gassing the building. I lift a cheek to you, Indy star and Greg Doyle, you traders, you. I lift a cheek. <laughs> oh, man. Since when, bank evidence, when, since when aren't bank evidence records only to the left? All right. I had a great show today. I had a great time doing the show. I hope you all did, too. I had so much fun today. I don't know why. Covington was great. Danny Z was great. The YouTube chat was filled. The Twitter handle was filled. We just had a great show. We continue to be the fastest, best show in the history of YouTube in the mornings on all things, and it's because we got a great crew here from our leaders, Gary and Aaron, Uh, Nick, fantastic, Dylan, fantastic, Ryan, tremendous, Katie, unbelievable, Haley, incredible. I got Mayor, I got Governor Abbott tomorrow. I want you to think about that. The most popular governor in the world is coming on our show, our little show. Hmm. Hey, four 340 today, I'll be on with the boys at Hot Mike, looking forward to it. Have a great afternoon, everybody, and thanks for being here.